If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to find Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And before I came up, my wife leaned over and she's like, uh, what's the name of your series again? And I'm like, Ephesians. Real creative. I'm like, I know, my creativity knows no bounds. Like, we were like, let's go through the book of Ephesians. What should we call it? Ephesians. All right, so today we are going to be in the second half of chapter 3. And if, if you haven't been with us, we've, we've kind of taken a, a little bit of a different approach on this. Like the first week of this series, we actually spent the majority of the time talking about what did letter writing, which this is a letter, what did letter writing look like in first century? Because it's not what letter writing looks like today. And I'm actually going to venture to guess that it probably doesn't look like what most of us thought writing the New Testament letters looked like. And so if you've missed any of this, I'd encourage you, if you want to go back and check out some of our Ephesians series, uh, but really kind of the outline of this book that we've been talking about, the first three chapters uh, of, of Ephesians is Paul, in a way, retelling the gospel story. Now, by gospel story, we actually mean retelling the entire, what I like to call, rescue story of what God has done to basically rescue creation and bring creation back into relationship with him. And as he does this, he highlights specific things from the Israelites' people's past. All right, so the Jewish history, he's highlighting these different things as he's telling this story. And as he tells it, he's, he's putting emphasis on some of these parts. All right, and he's trying to get the readers to actually see themselves as part of this story. Okay, and so we've highlighted this. We've highlighted some themes and traced those through uh, as we've done this. Um, and, and I think that Paul, in this section today, uh, Paul says, like, this, God has had this planned always, but right now he's finally letting us in on his plan. And, and, he, and Jesus told Paul that you are the guy to pass this on. All right, and so the way that Paul has been telling this story, he is inviting not only the original readers, but us as well, to step into this story and to see ourselves as part of this. Okay, the story is still going. Like the story climaxed with when, when Jesus went to the cross and was killed and then rose again, but that wasn't the end. All right, there still is a story that is going, and, and Paul has been telling this crazy idea that God's family, God's chosen people, was no longer limited to just the Israelites or just the descendants of Abraham. Instead, it is now open to everyone. All right, and this is controversial, and it is difficult, and it is messy. But Paul is saying that it, it basically, by the world standards, it is impossible to come together and do this. But by the working of the Holy Spirit, it can happen. And that's the emphasis that he's kind of putting on this that we saw last week. Uh, and when it happens, when we actually follow the leading of the Spirit, when we come together, it astonishes the rest of the world as they look in and see this multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural group that should have every reason to be complaining about each other and fighting with each other in unity. He says that's one of the strongest things that you can do. And when you read the book of Acts, like this is what was so contagious about the early church to people around us, to around them. Now, when we look at it, we're like the Holy Spirit made a massive difference in the book of Acts. But, but to the people on the outside, they didn't understand that. The people on the outside would say, wow, look at this diverse group that is coming together. All right? And some people, they were absolutely drawn to that. They wanted to be part of it. Others were threatened by it. And our passage today finishes this section of retelling this story 
And then Paul prays over the readers. And then starting in next week, Paul begins to, to then talk about what does this look like for us to live this out? How are we part of this story? So today is like the last day before we turn the corner. Because you'll see the opening word of next week is therefore. Anytime you see therefore, there's a professor in school, he'd say, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to go back and look at what it's there for. This is kind of this dorky little thing. All right. And, uh, but I, it stuck with me. And I'm like, whenever someone says therefore, you're like, oh, what, what were they just talking about? I need to know what's going on with this. All right. So uh, that's kind of where we're at today. I, I would love to pray to get us started. If you are willing, if you are able, uh, would you stand to your feet with me? I want to just open us up in prayer, uh, and then we are going to move on. Normally, I read the passage, but we're going to kind of do that as we go through it, because we are looking at all of Ephesians chapter 3 today. All right, so I'm not going to sit and read the whole thing right now. So, Jesus, I, I pray that as we look at this, Lord, I know so many of us have read through these parts of, of Scripture before. God, maybe we have we've heard sermons preached on this, God, but I pray that every single one of us, myself included, when we approach your word, God, that every time we would approach it with new eyes, God, with new expectations, that you still want to speak to us, that, that we still don't completely understand everything. God, that we have growth to happen in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning that that would happen for each and every one of us. God, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So something that I want to I jump into before we move on is this. I think it's important for us to understand and to grasp and even almost appreciate what is going on here between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. All right, so we've been talking about this for a few weeks. You have these groups coming together. There's a lot of tension that will happen when you bring these groups together. And the Jewish people are a little upset about this news, that now everybody is part of the family of God. Not all of them, but there's a good portion that they, they're kind of upset about this. Uh, and maybe you can empathize with them. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. And you're like, wow, those guys are a bunch of jerks. Like, why wouldn't they want someone else to be part of the family of God? All right, and, and here's what I think happens. When we don't understand some of the background in the New Testament, it's really easy for us to start to take a view that is almost borderline um, anti-Semitic. Like, the Jewish people are just, oh, man, they're, they're, they just seem to be the enemy in the New Testament. And, like, it's easy for us to start to almost kind of take that view, uh, but I don't think that is at all what we are supposed to do as we read through this. All right, and like, so you'll hear people mention like, oh, you know, it's the Jewish people that killed Jesus. And, and they say it in a way where it's like opposition against them. Has anyone ever, maybe you've even said that. Have you heard someone say that before? Well, well, last week we talked about, um, in, in the first part of chapter three, we, or first, last part of chapter two, we talked about, Paul says there's a hostility between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And that Jesus actually tore down this barrier, tore down this hostility. All right, and what's going on here is this. Like this hostility that's between them, the way that Jesus tore this down is he took the hostility of the Jewish people on himself. And he took the hostility of the Gentiles on himself. Like the only way for this to work was actually for both those groups to take their hostility that they had with each other and instead place them on him. And like think about the crucifixion story. Right? It's, it's the Jewish people that lead Jesus towards this, and they're saying, we want him crucified and all these things. And it's the Romans that step in and actually do this. And so in this moment, you have the hostility of, of everyone coming together 
on Jesus. And in his death and resurrection, he lays this hostility to rest. And so when someone says something like, you know, it's the Jewish people that killed Jesus, like, I want you to kind of snip back at them and be like, no, humanity did. Humanity killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. We, we did. Humanity did. And, and those types of things, like, it's important when we misread things, when we say that Paul had a conversion from Judaism to Christianity, that's, Paul would be rolling over in his grave. Like, that is not at all how he would explain this. He sees this as a continuation. This is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. It's the fulfillment of all of these things. And these things are important for us to understand. All right, and let's be honest. Like, 99% of us in the room, if we were there, probably would have been chanting for Jesus to be killed. And I'm not, like, I'm not in the 1%. I just don't like to say 100%. All right, like, I, I just think that we would. Like, when you think about this, when someone comes and starts to threaten what you've always known, what you've always believed, it's so easy for us to become hostile towards that, all right? But when we understand the context of things, this, this should humble us in our approach, all right? And it should fight against any arrogances that we might have. And so, so the Jewish people being upset about everybody else becoming part of it, like, we need to understand this before we move on, all right? And I came up with an analogy, and like many of my analogies, this is not perfect, all right? But I want us to walk through this, because I think this is maybe the best way we can empathize here, all right? So, how many, how many veterans do we have in the room? I know we have a few. All right. And so we have that many. Now think of, you don't have to raise your hand, think of people that are, maybe you have veterans in your family. You have friends. You've been, you've been impacted by, um, from them living that life. All right. And, and veterans have served our country. They have sacrificed in, in all sorts of different ways. All right, And because of this, they have certain benefits. Actually, Buster and I were talking this week as I was driving them over to pick up a truck. Uh, and, and I was like, all right, tell me about the benefits that, that veterans get. And, and we're talking through this, and there's, there's pensions, and there's, there's health care, um, there's disability compensation, and there's, there's education things, and insurance things, and, and burial rights. All right, And many businesses or restaurants might give you a discount and things like that. Like There are benefits that are available to veterans. All right? Um, and if you talk to many veterans, like this, this doesn't necessarily make everything they've gone through worth it, but it's one of those things that you're appreciative for, all right? Um, it's, it's a way to try to acknowledge the choices that they've made and give some type of appreci appreciation. And most of these things, they're, they're only available to veterans. Now imagine next week, our government comes out and says, uh, I know we have many veterans in our nations, and they've sacrificed and done a lot for us, and they have uh, lived in a, in a certain way that you know, we, we love, and we want that to kind of model for our citizens, and, and, and we love to see that in our country, but, but all of those benefits that we've given you, um, I think we want to just give them to everybody. All right? And so starting today, all those benefits extend to everyone. It uh, doesn't matter if you are a veteran or not. Doesn't matter if you're related to a veteran or not. Doesn't matter if you disagree with the wars that they fought. Uh, maybe you protested against them. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're actually even a citizen of our country or not. Uh, maybe you could even be on the opposing side of the war and fought against us. And you know what? We're still going to give you all of those benefits that usually are reserved just for veterans. Okay? There's no longer anything special about being a veteran. Everybody gets this. How do you think our country would respond. 
I mean, just think about that. Like, if I, okay, you're no longer special. Everybody gets these benefits. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what you sacrificed. Everybody gets them. And I feel like th that feeling right there, like just imagine logging on to Facebook that day when that announcement has come through and what you think you're going to see as you scroll through there. Like think of how people would respond to this. That is in my mind, of, it's about the closest I feel like I could come up with talking about something of how the Jewish people probably felt, some of the Jewish people at least, in that moment of saying, hey, you know what? Everybody gets to be part of God's family now. All right, because for thousands of years, they had been keeping the law, or trying to anyways. They were living the way God told them to. They were trying to do everything that they should. And because of it, uh, they, they were persecuted. And there was junk in their life that they had to put up with. But at the end of the day, they were God's chosen people. And they had a future and this resurrection life to look forward to. So all the junk... They, like that they were going through, they could remind themselves, but it's okay, we have this that is waiting for us. All right? And here comes Paul saying, hey, guess what, guys? Great news, you're not special anymore. Everyone gets those benefits. Even the people that killed you in the past, they get those benefits too. All right? And, and, and here's the thing, they actually don't even have to become like you. They don't have to follow the laws like you guys do. They still are going to get all of those benefits. Can we start to understand a little bit more why maybe some of the Jewish people were like finding this difficult to swallow? Yes? Are we tracking with this? Like that, that would be hard in that moment to say, but, but, but we've been living this way for so long. We've done everything you've asked of us. And now everybody gets this? I want us to be able to emotionally put ourselves in that place, to empathize. All right, now, the reason someone would land in that place of being upset about this is, is really because I think they don't have a full understanding of the love of God. Like, if you think God only has a certain amount of love and that there's limited resources, then someone else getting love means that there's less for you. And we have this, like, scarcity mindset. Or when you don't understand God's love, we start to think that it's, conditional and you have to do something to earn it and the better you are the more you follow the rules the more love you deserve so when you think either of those two ways you are going to get upset when God's love starts to go out to people other than yourself especially if you don't think that they deserve it that that that's what you're going to feel in those moments so not all the Jewish people being on board with this new idea should be a little understandable for us, okay? It isn't correct, but we should be able to understand why they might be feeling that way. All right, I want us, like I said, we're going to go through chapter 3, and we're going to do this quickly. I want to look at, at all of this. This is Paul kind of wrapping some of this up, okay? And, and I want us to look at this and then why it matters for us today. So I'm going to have the verses of the chapter on the screen behind me, uh, but more often than not, I'm going to be paraphrasing and summarizing kind of what's in there. But I want you to read through that. If you have a Bible, pull it up. If you have the Bible app, pull it up and kind of be reading through as we go through this, all right? Um, I want us to process this. So Paul starts by saying, when I think of all of this, all right, so what, what is he referencing? When I think of all of this, well, the first two chapters that we've already read. This is the beginning of chapter 3. So he says, when I think of everything that I've just gotten done telling you, 
then he refers to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, which, which is interesting because Paul is actually a prisoner right now. He is writing this from prison. And he's like, it, you know what? This is his perspective, though. If God didn't want me to be in here, I could be out of prison. So I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he's the one that has the final say in this. If he wanted me to not be a prisoner, I would be free on the outside. That's what we see that through the book of Acts, random times where things like that happen. And so he's saying, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And, and that mindset that, that everything that he does is for Jesus is, is so crucial with the type of life that Paul lives. Otherwise, he would be discouraged all the time. Okay, so take note of this in our lives. If you find moments of like major discouragement in your life, Paul's mindset here of everything I do is for Jesus. Like this, this is a, a great way to battle discouragement. And he says, me being in prison, me sharing this, everything, this is a benefit to the Gentiles, to the people that he's bringing the good news to. Paul has this new message from God about the Gentiles becoming part of the family of God. And he says, this, this is huge. And he has been specifically and specially chosen for this task to do something new. And because of that, because of that calling that's on his life, he is in prison. That, that's the way that he views this. And then he goes on, and in case we've forgotten this, everything from the first two chapters, Paul sums it up really quickly right here in the next two verses. The Gentiles, he says, well, they will share equally in the inheritance. They are going to be part of the same family or body. And he says they're going to receive the promised blessings. This is what's happening. This is the good news for the rest of the world. That they get to be part of all of, of these three things. And then Paul says, it is a privilege. I get to share this news. Remember, Paul showed up on the scene killing followers of Jesus. When we first see him in the book of Acts, Paul is killing anyone who follows Jesus. He's going around, he is arresting them, he is bringing them to the Jewish leaders, he is standing there holding the coats when Stephen, the first martyr that we see in the Bible, is killed for believing in Jesus. This is Paul's history. And he says, this is a privilege that I get to be part of this. I was this pious, zealous Jew, so, so much so in the fact that like, he was just the, the best of the best of the Jewish people. And he said, and yet God is still willing to use me. This is a, this is a privilege that I get to be part of this. And he continues in verses 8 and 9, continues on that point. He says, I, I, and I love what he says here. He's telling the Gentiles of the endless treasures in Christ. So in case anyone listening or reading this is thinking that God's love and blessing and inheritance is limited, Paul's saying here right now, hey, guys, listen, it isn't. It doesn't matter that this is going to the Gentiles. It's not taking anything away from you. Remember, Jesus talks about this in the parable, the, the workers that come and the worker that starts at the beginning of the day and gets his wage. And the worker that starts halfway through the day gets the same full day wage. And the worker who comes for the last 10 minutes and gets a full day wage. And the person at the beginning is upset. Jesus says, why are you upset? I gave you what I told you I would. Why are you upset that they're being let in on this, even at the, the last minute, the last hour? And Paul's saying the same thing here. Like, don't worry about this. There's no limit to what God has. He, this does not impact you negatively. And then we get to the verse that we briefly looked at last week. And it says this in, in verse 10. God's purpose in all of this 
was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is showing the entire world that what is impossible in our own strength, coming together and being unified with people who are different from us, he is, he, that is how he is showing the rulers of the unseen world that they no longer have power. And Paul says this was always God's plan. And this is going to be established forever. And that, that, that's what eternal means. <coughs> when we look at the end of the rescue story in Revelation multiple times, we see wording like this. Every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language worshiping God together. And what I love about that is even at the end of the story, we have not lost our diversity in what makes us different. We still retain that. And yet we come together in unity. So we said that the, the main theme of the book of Ephesians is unity. And this is where Paul starts to go really heavy on it. He says, but unity like this, unity in these ways is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, because of what Jesus has done, we can come to God boldly. The next few verses here. We can come to God boldly, not arrogantly, but boldly and confidently into God's presence. And Paul says, don't feel bad that I'm in prison. Don't be worried about this. Don't lose heart. I'm, I'm doing this for you. And Paul's associating his suffering with Jesus. Paul thinks, and this, this is really important for us to grasp, Paul thinks he is never more like Jesus and he is never more connected with Jesus than when he is suffering for him. This is not something that we understand in modern day America. All right, like I'll just tell you that. Like he thinks I am, I am never more like Jesus than when I am suffering for him. Typically in an honor-shame society like Paul is in, in the Near East, like suffering was assumed to be a negative on you. Like it, it would result in you living a, like you lived a bad life, so now you're suffering. Remember the people that came to Jesus. What, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? They're thinking that, that blindness happened in his life because of sin. You're suffering because you did something wrong. And Paul is flipping this on its head and saying suffering is the greatest thing that could happen to you. Because you are never more like Jesus than when you suffer. And then Paul gets to the last little bit of this prayer, verse 14. Um, and, and he says, when I, when I think of all this, again, that means everything he said in this letter, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, there's that again, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He's trying to hammer that home. Guys, you don't need to be upset that they're part of the family of God. Unlimited resources. And this whole part of the prayer here focuses on understanding God's love. Remember earlier we said that the reason why probably so many of the Jewish people were struggling with this good news is that they didn't fully understand God's love. This is why we struggle with this too at times. And, and Paul wants them to really understand it. He says it in a way that God's love has so many facets to it. 
He says, I I pray that you understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. There's so many different things in, in our world that I can't fully comprehend. Like there's things that I wish I could. All right, like for an example, our world, we know this, our world is in multiple dimensions, 3D, right? But you and I, we don't see in 3D. We see in 2D, but we have two eyes that are not very far apart from each other that gives us the illusion that we are seeing things in 3D. That's what depth perception is. But each individual eye, if you don't believe me, just close one eye. You cannot see, like there's not, you lose all depth perception, okay? We go to the picnic, try and play catch with somebody and just close an eye. See how well it goes. All right, but we, as humans, we see in 2D, but we see it twice, and that gives us this idea of three dimensions. Like, I I don't think I can fully comprehend everything in our world. I try my best, but I can't. And I think that the idea of God's love and the idea of unconditional love, I try my best to understand that. And there's moments where people are brought into your life where you start to understand unconditional love a little bit more. But I think I'd be lying to myself if I said I truly grasped what it means to love somebody with no conditions attached whatsoever. It's so difficult to understand. And Paul's saying that if if the Holy Spirit helps us, we can more fully understand his love. And we probably wouldn't be struggling with this good news. We would welcome this idea of unity with people who are not like ourselves. Because when we understand God's love, we begin to love what he loves. And we begin to see the world differently. We view people the way he views them. Through spiritual eyes, not through the eyes of this world. Because the eyes of this world... When they see differences in people, when, I, when they see a difference between them and someone else, they see it as division. That was all last week. Last week we were hammering heavy on this idea that when we see differences, we see division. What Paul's saying is, no, when you see differences, you should see an opportunity. An opportunity for hospitality. An opportunity for their differences and your differences to come together and strengthen each other to offset each other's weaknesses, that, that that's how we should see this. When God sees differences, he sees beauty. He sees opportunities for him to be glorified. He sees the strengths that come together and offset weaknesses. So when Christ makes his home in you, it's the wording that Paul uses here, which is it's one of the few times he kind of uses wording like this. Usually we are in Christ, and we are in Christ's family. He says, when Christ is in you, The root should grow deep, and you should be changed by that process. A continual change that never stops. It doesn't just affect little things, but massive things in our lives. The way we view people and the world should always be changing. To be more like the way that he views the world. God doesn't see the world as good and bad groups. He sees the world as his beautiful creation. All of it belonging in relationship with him whether they realize it or not. I think that longing and that purpose that like all of humanity always, they want to feel like there's something bigger in their life. 
that there's a purpose for them. There's something beyond just what we see. That longing that's there is this longing to be in relationship with God, whether people realize it or not. And if we can start to see our world in the way that that he sees it, we could stop fighting and arguing and belittling people who are different and think different from us and believe different from us. Instead, our desire would be to help people and point them towards the creator. We want to see people come together to, to bring their differences with them, not lose those differences, to strengthen the family of God. Because he says in the, in the last line of this, not only does, does life, and remember, anytime we see life and death in Ephesians, that's one of the themes. We saw that at the beginning. We are given the power to bring life in a world that constantly brings death. All right, that, that's the power that is given to us. And, and so he says this here, um, not only does this result in life, but it results in power and in strength. And then he finishes the prayer, the last couple lines, with a line that's incredibly humbling. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. All the glory is to God, not to us, but he's going to do this through us. It says, see this? Through his mighty power at work within us. That is a humbling line. If I were honest, I wish the line just said, through his mighty power, and then stopped. Because the second I become part of this equation, man, things are going to get messed up. God, you have this mighty power. Can you just do this through you? But he says, through his mighty power, at work within us. Every time I have to reflect on the fact that God chooses to use me to accomplish his plan, I am blown away. It's this mix of humility that he would choose me, even though I screw up constantly. All right, a mix of humility. And it's a feeling of this mix of incredibly heavy weight that he is choosing me. This means that I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility, a big one. It would be so much easier if this line just said, through his mighty power, he's going to do this. Great. I can get on board with that. All of a sudden, through his mighty power, he's going to use me? Oof, I don't know how mighty that power is anymore, God. You need a lot of might to work with me. And God is so patient and so willing to do that. And it isn't just to glorify him. It says to glorify, it's glory to him in the church. In the church. That means we need to get this right because he is glorified when we get this right. The problem is that we so often do not get this right. Instead of understanding his love and extending his love, we fight and we argue and we belittle, and God isn't honored through his church when we do that. Think of how often churches fight with each other. And Paul closes the prayer. And we begin to shift the focus of this letter. Now there's a lot going on here. All right, and I want us to walk out of here with some specifics from this prayer that that Paul has from this letter today. All right, so if you would, would you just stand with me as we kind of come to a close here? 
I have a couple of questions I want us to ask and then just kind of a prayer that I think that for every single one of us, that this week, that we could just kind of be praying in our life even. All right, and, and the first thing that I want us to wrestle with is the same idea that the Jewish followers of Jesus struggled with. All right, so here's the question. Are there people, or maybe even a person, that you don't want to be part of God's family with you? Now, that might sound like really harsh, like, oh man. But, but honestly, like, think about this. Is there someone that you don't think God's love is big enough to accept? Because that's something that you need to deal with. Most likely that means that there's unforgiveness in your life, that there's hostility towards someone. Maybe it's a specific person that you've had issues with and God is saying, hey, listen, my love is big enough for them. Is yours? Because his is. And I'm not trying to say this lightly. Each one of these, I'm going to kind of give this disclaimer. There might be people in the room that you are dealing with trying to figure out how to forgive someone who has hurt you in incredibly horrible and traumatic ways. And I am not trying to make light of that. I'm not trying to say, hey, just get over it. God loves them, so should you. I'm saying this, this is something that we probably have to work through because, again, we don't always fully understand God's unconditional love. But are you willing to start to move in that direction and to take those steps and to try and find health, to find a place of forgiveness? Forgiveness doesn't mean trust. The reason why we struggle with forgiveness so often is because we attach all sorts of other things to forgiveness that are not forgiveness. We're like, well, if I forgive them, then I have to trust them. If I forgive them, I have to be okay with what they did. If I forgive them, and we have all these things that are attached to forgiveness, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is separate from that. And forgiveness can sometimes happen in more of a moment. But then there are so many other pieces that is probably much more of a process. And please don't rush those processes. You need to be healthy as you walk through that. But is there somebody that you need to be okay with? Maybe it's not a specific person, but you just aren't excited about a certain group of people being part of the family of God with you. This could be cultural things that make you feel less comfortable. I think an easy one to think about would be this. Whatever political party you find yourself in, what if we had a large influx of the other political party into our church? Are you okay with that? And let me just say this real quickly, not with a little caveat in the back of your mind of, yeah, but if they truly get saved, then they'll be part of my political party. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Are you okay with other people coming in who are different from you and, and from being in that spot? You know, now, all of this is shaped by, if it's your first time here, I need, I need to remind us, all this is shaped by what we talked about in a previous series, that we have this core set of beliefs. All right? That we find unity around that. The problem is we put too many things in there and we start fighting about dumb things that don't matter. Okay, but there are some core things that we bring unity around and that is Jesus Christ. Very basic, very simple things there. All right, here's a second question for us to process. Paul associated all of his suffering with Jesus. Is there suffering in your life that you need to change your perspective on? 
Now again, this could be taken really light, like you have no idea what I went through. I don't. And I'm not saying like, hey, just get over it. Don't worry about that suffering. I'm not saying that. These can be incredibly heavy questions for some of us in the room. For some of us in the room, it might be a little bit lighter of just like, yeah, you know what? We've kind of been struggling with this in life and finances aren't really coming together the way I want it or this is going on and, and we're struggling and yeah, I just need to change my perspective. And some of us might have something way bigger than that that we need to process through. But Paul, Paul never saw himself as more closely related to Jesus than when he was suffering. And that's a, that's a mindset, that's an attitude that I need to figure out how to have in my life. In James, it says, count it all joy when you go through trials because the trials will create something inside of you, these positive things inside of you. It's a mindset where we don't focus on the suffering itself, but instead we focus on what the suffering is doing inside of us. How am I responding to this suffering? Paul says in Romans, he says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It, it keeps bringing it back to what is the suffering doing inside of you? How are you letting that process inside of you? So what is your perspective of the suffering in your life? And the last thing is simply a prayer that I want and I'm going to kind of close by even praying this over us but I want us to think about and it's just this, God, God, help me to truly understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. Because I don't think we understand that. I, I don't think I understand that. And I don't know if I ever will this side of eternity, but I want to keep pressing in and try and figure out what that looks like. I'm going to close with some prayer here. Maybe one of these specific questions or even this prayer at the end is sticking out to you. Maybe there's something completely different today as we're talking and, and you're like, wow, like this just stuck out and I know what I need to do this week. But let's not walk out of here today the exact same. Let's walk out of here with something that we need to be putting into our life, that we need to be taking action with. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that every single one of us would have something that we want to be changed by today. God, if there's somebody that we're dealing with and we're, we're struggling to think that your love and your forgiveness is big enough for them, God, change our hearts. Change our hearts. That we would understand your love for them. God, if we're, if we're struggling with, with certain ways that we're suffering, God, I pray that we would understand the love that you have for us. And that that suffering does not mean that you aren't there, that you aren't present in our life. But God, instead, that we would have the type of perspective that could draw us closer to you when those situations happen. God, that we'd look back on things in our life and, and maybe we still don't know why. And we may never have an answer as to why that happened. But God, that we would just be able to to at least try and explore a little bit of this idea of walking closer to you and saying, I, I don't know what's going on there and maybe I don't need all those answers, but God, something's missing and I just, I, I, need, I need to trust you and I need, to, I need to begin to change my perspective on this in a way that can actually move me closer to you instead of draw me away from you. 
So God, we pray that this week that we would have opportunities to experience your love. God, that we would have opportunities to extend your love to other people. God, and that our, our understanding of how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is would continue to grow. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.